This radio show is prepared by Brent and Scott Polis, who are registered portfolio managers with Hollis Wealth, a division of Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc. This radio show is not an official program of Hollis Wealth. The views, including any recommendations expressed during this show, are those of Brent and Scott Polis alone and are not endorsed or approved by Hollis Wealth or Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc. Hollis Wealth is a registered trademark of Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc. Hollis Wealth is a division of Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc., a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund, CIPF, and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. And now, the Investment Strategy Show, a special financial broadcast on TSN 1260. Welcome to the Investment Strategy Show. I'm Scott Bullis, and with me is Adam Pfizer. In today's show, we're in the first segment. We're going to take a look at the Canadian and global markets as usual. And then in segment two and three, we're going to do something different, uh, an educational focus looking at key words that advisors and their clients often see differently. And we're going to unpack some of these words and show you the differences in meanings and how it's important to have smart, intelligent conversations with your advisors to make sure you both understand exactly where you're coming from. Exactly, Scott. It's very important that you can communicate with your advisor because, of course, if you don't communicate with them, you don't know what to expect from them. And more importantly, they don't really know how to service you properly. So it's not just about asking questions. It's not what we're just saying, do you understand? It's making sure that you're using the same language when you're discussing problems. But to get the show started, we're going to look at North American markets and specifically Canada to kick it off. And of course, last week was the kickoff of the Calgary Stampede, which is a huge outdoor event down there. And there's always a lot of talk of the oil and gas sector at the Stampede. They are major sponsors. And the real big news was that Kinder Morgan had put in the summer work program for the Trans Mountain Pipeline. This means the pipeline is getting built as we speak. There are shovels in the ground. We actually saw some protesters getting pulled away in Kamloops. On the economic front, the Consumer Price Index rose at an annual pace of 2.5% in June, which is the fastest year-over-year acceleration since 2012. Economists in a Bloomberg study had anticipated a 2.3% increase, so it is actually a significant um, beat over expectations. Uh, However, core measures of inflation seen by officials as a better gauge of real underlying trends ticked up slightly to an average of 1.97% from 1.93% in May. Uh, The retail sale numbers largely reflected an increase in receipts at vehicle dealerships and gas stations. But even excluding autos, the numbers came in well ahead of what economists were expecting. The strength uh, was volume-related, with sales up 2% once price changes were factored out. So... The biggest surprise really was the ex-auto readings in retail sales, according to Royce Mendes, senior economist at CIBC World Markets. Uh, It blew past expectations. This was a lot of people coming to stores after weather affected April's numbers. So what happened with that? The Canadian dollar jumped 1.1% to 1.3132 against the U.S. uh, counterpart at 9 a.m. in Toronto time. Yields on two-year government bonds climbed four basis points to 1.97%. And investors are now pricing in about a 60% chance of a quarter point um, rate increase at the central bank October meeting. So Adam, what is your thoughts on it? Well, Scott, I mean, the market kind of reacted how you expect. The dollar really did surge higher throughout the day, not just at 9 a.m., 
And now with the expectation of interest rates going up in Canada, you can see that the Bank of Canada is really getting backed into a corner. We still have an ongoing trade skirmish with the U.S. that threatens to go to an all-out war at any moment. But at the same time, they're not going to let inflation get higher. And 1.98 is awfully close to your 2% goal. And we know that it continues to increase month after month as the poor readings from last year get taken off the tape. So it really does look like the Bank of Canada is going to raise interest rates for a second time this year. And naturally, that's going to put a lot of pressure on Canadian households that are overly indebted. And when you have a bunch of debt overhanging over your head, the last thing you want to hear is that the amount of money you make probably isn't increasing because there's really no reason for you to get a pay raise just because interest rates went up. But at the same time, the amount of money you're spending on credit cards, student loans, lines of credit, or even your mortgage, that is getting bigger. That's a major concern for household debt levels and how the country's economy will look in two, three, four years. But again, I don't think the bank has a lot of uh, leeway here. And as it turns out, it's getting really tight in the U.S. as well. One of the things that grabbed our attention this week and one of the things we really look for at the Western Strategies team are what we call secondary economic indicators. So inflation, interest rates, that's all primary indicators. There's big news about them. They're going to be on CBC, 10 o'clock, uh, national news. One thing that people might have missed is what the U.S. quit rate looks like. Now, quit rate is exactly what it sounds like. It's the number of people who are currently quitting their job and going to another job. And you usually quit a job to move to another one for only two reasons, much better benefits, work environment, or, of course, much higher paying. And it turns out that the latter is really what's happening right now. People are getting job offers, particularly people who already have a job, that are offering them far better pay than their current position. So the quit rate in the U.S. has gone, come up to a 17-year high. And accompanying this is what's being called as a new ghosting measure. There are people who not only don't show up for interviews when they say they will, but they're not even showing up for a new job when they're hired. And they're also just not coming in on Monday because they happen to have gotten a new job. They refuse to answer phone messages or emails. They don't want to have the awkward conversations where people are saying. Naturally, this drives businesses crazy. It is really hard to plan your future if you don't know if the person you just hired is actually going to come to work or if you don't know if the staff member you're depending on is going to be at the Monday morning meeting. So this is something that's really coming up in the U.S. Companies of all stripes are having to offer more money, better benefits, more security to employees to make sure they hold on to the workers they have, and they're finding it much more difficult to recruit new employees. So, Scott, what would you do if you found that you had to offer better compensation to everybody that we wanted to hire at the investment strategies team? Well, <laughs> I actually happened to work in Silicon Valley during the dot-com era, as you know, and it was incredibly frustrating running a business then because you would hire somebody and by the time they had quit their job and come to start with you, they'd already received two other offers and were either renegotiating their agreement or just flatly denying it. And it's so hard to plan your business in that kind of environment and understand what your costs will be and where you want to go with your business. So this is disturbing in that way. On the other hand, on a personal note, it is much harder living in the United States on two part-time incomes when you don't have benefits, et cetera. And I think from a personal humanitarian um, point of view, I think it's great that more Americans are going to be able to find jobs where they get health care and other benefits, which in the United States are so important for the average lower income worker. That's a great point, Scott. And this really is one of those stories where there's two sides. Of course, on a personal level, we both, I'm sure everyone out there wants people to get better jobs, get better pay. But as investors, it really does make it difficult. Companies are repeatedly commenting during their earnings calls that they are finding it hard to recruit new workers, hold on to their workers, or just having to pay a lot more money to keep them. So this is one of the effects on the market where on the one hand, you're like, I have money invested and I'd really like the market to keep going up. But on the other hand, it is really good news that people have better health care, better pay, better benefits, more secure future. Which leads to the next thing that's threatening the United States uh, future and certainly their prosperity, and that is President Donald Trump's repeated attacks on the Federal Reserve this week. 
So not just once, because in his typical style, Trump did double down again. Trump is pointing out that the Federal Reserve in the U.S. May, is thinking of increasing interest rates two more times this year, and he's very against it. He essentially sees what the Fed is doing by raising interest rates as nullifying what he did by reducing taxes across the board. So this is really unheard of. The whole idea of a central bank, whether it's Canada, the U.S., Britain, Japan, I could keep going, is that they are completely independent of politics. The monetary supply is a very blunt tool that can have a huge impact on the economic cycle. If you give a politician who has a very short-term goal getting re-elected in a year power over that tool, they will abuse it and you will end up in either very low interest rates or very high interest rates, but very little in between. And you'll have policy that is not well thought out. So markets reacted very negatively to the idea that Trump was attacking the Fed. Virtually all market participants and especially Republican senators were quite clear that they do not think this is a new uh, front that the Trump administration should be opening. I agree. But one of the comments he made is he was saying, if I were a private citizen, this is what I would say. But I think for somebody like Trump, he's got to remember that he is not in any way a private citizen. He is the quote unquote leader of the free world. And one of the great things about the American system and one of the reasons why it's been so successful for so long is that distribution of power, separate presidency, judicial system, House and Congress. And I think that's an important part economically and judiciously. So this is one where I must admit, I think he would have been better off being quiet. Absolutely. And the market sort of agreed. Uh, we had earnings all week coming out. Many were good. Uh, Microsoft in particular is quite encouraging. Many were not so good. Uh, Skechers was down 25%. Netflix lost 15% when they reported. So earnings was a little bit more mixed than people thought, which wasn't, which led to the U.S. markets uh, being also very flat. Uh, the S&P 500 was up 0.02%. The Dow was up 0.15%. And the tech-heavy NASDAQ was actually down for the week at 0.07%. The TSX was the worst performer of the bunch, with the TSX falling 0.85% for the week. So, Scott, what were some of the international news developments we were following this week? Well, the big one for me got really very little attention, and I'm surprised by it. Um, on Tuesday in to Tokyo, the European Union signed its largest trade deal ever, which was a pact with Japan that will slash customs duties on products like European wine and cheese, while gradually reducing tariffs on cars. The agreement will cover a quarter of the global economy, by some measures, the largest free trade area in the world. And that's a major, um, it's a major agreement for a number of reasons. Number one, it's being done at the same time that Trump is in the, in the process of slashing deals, cutting deals, and causing trade wars. So we've got two very different groups going around. And this isn't the only one that Europe is working on. Um, Europe also reached a deal in principle with Mexico to update an existing free trade agreement, um, one that should be completed by the end of the year, and accords with Vietnam and Singapore are in their final stages approval. And of course, not last but not least, um, Canada finished its trade with uh, its free trade agreement with Europe uh, earlier in the year. So it's it's showing two different sides in the market. Europe, which is rapidly trying to increase its access to global markets and the United States, which is trying to bring up a new area, era of protectionism. Absolutely, Scott. And I think it's that divergence, which is really interesting. Uh, it's not just Europe for the record. It's literally every other country in the world is trying to sign mo more free trade agreements and understanding that trade always creates better prosperity. We need global supply chains with partners that are responsible. It is really just the U.S. that has decided they don't like this anymore and would really like it to stop. 
And it's probably worth noting it's not everyone in the U.S. It's a very small sliver of the U.S. About 45% of people say they are in support of what Trump is doing. So even the majority of Americans don't necessarily think this is a great idea. But he was elected. He's definitely the president. And this is what he's elected to do. So this is what's going to keep happening. China is going to sign a free, free trade agreement with the EU shortly. I wouldn't be surprised to see Canada back uh, negotiating with China and Japan shortly. And as we find all these deals, this moves investment capital away from the U.S. We're going to invest with people we can trust. It's interesting because Trump is very worried about how high the U.S. dollar has gotten. He's claiming that China, Japan, the EU are manipulating their currencies. What he doesn't seem to understand is when he destabilizes the global economy, that naturally pushes up the, your, the American dollar. The reason being that the U.S. dollar is seen as the ultimate safe haven asset. So when things get destabilized and there's a lot of volatility in the markets, people go and buy U.S. dollars. Which leads to the next major story this week, and probably the most important story, to be honest, of any story we're talking about today, and that is that China has actively devalued their yuan for the first time since January of 2016. Now, I'm sure Scott remembers very well what happened the last time China actively devalued their currency. We saw about a 20% drop in global markets, 16% drop in the U.S. market over a five, six-week period. It was very violent, and China started that process again this week, simply saying that there was no point in them having a currency window, which is how they peg their currency. If the, trade would, if the currency was going to trade below that window anyways. So they've now lowered the window to accommodate what the market forces want and to prevent them from having to sell off all of their foreign reserve currencies. It's, it's a big one, but it is also sadly plays into the hands of a number of the Trump um, advisors who tell him that one of the reasons they have such a large trade balance is because they have an artificially low currency. And I think that was definitely the case at some point in the past. But that hasn't been the case in the last number of years where it has been far more market driven. But it does play into the narrative that Trump is being advised with. It will play into that narrative, Scott's great point. But I mean, just so we're very, very clear, a fact is a fact. The market itself had the currency rate mm -hmm. below the government rate. So there was no point in having a government rate. If you took out the government rate, it's believed the yuan would fall in value by about 15%. So the Chinese government is currently holding its currency higher to try and make sure that there is some level of trade equality between it and the rest of the world. So with the big international news this week, we saw the Europe stock 600 index up 0.29%. While Asian markets were really the winners of all international markets this week, with the Nikkei Japanese index up 0.41% and the Shanghai index up 0.4%. That free trade deal really did help both Asian and European markets throughout the week. We saw a big spike on Tuesday. So coming up on our second segment, we're going to start unpacking the suitcase and we're going to discuss the vocabulary your advisor uses, how you hear it, and what they mean when they say it. We look forward to seeing you after the break. You're listening to the Investment Strategy Show with Brent and Scott Bullis, a special financial broadcast on TSN 1260. We'll get right back to it after this. The Jason Greger Show. Hockey Canada's head scout, Brad McEwen, on Oilers' first-round pick, Evan Bouchard. The ability to impact the game himself, that's a quality that very few guys have. And those special qualities offensively that he separates himself. And if there's any chance we can get him uh, through to Christmas time, we would be extremely excited about having him. The Jason Greger Show, weekdays from 2 till 6. Presented by Grand Villa Casino on Edmonton Sports Leader, TSN 1260. When you hear someone say the word nearly, you probably think it means the same as very close to or almost, right? 
but a Capital Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram nearly means a new model vehicle with super low kilometers. All month long, save your cash and drive away in a nearly new 2017-2018 vehicle. Capital Jeep will never have these deals again, so hurry in now. The nearly new sale is your one-time only opportunity to save and only until the end of the month. Capital Jeep on the corner of Ellerslie Road and Calgary Trail and online at CapitalJeep.com. O2s? Oh yeah. Today is Sunday Fun Day with fantastic happy hour prices all day long every Sunday and delicious $7.50 flatbreads. It's Sunday Fun Day with happy hour all day today at O2s. Don't forget, tomorrow is 50 Cent Pierogi Monday. Who doesn't love pierogies on a Monday? Pierogi Monday, tomorrow at O2s. Select O2s only. Kitchen always open late and serving the full menu. O2s? Oh yeah. O2s.ca. Summer weddings. I do. Summer babies. Summer birthdays. Special occasions are more than occasional this summer, and Independent Jewelers has the something for every one of them. Shop an enormous selection with goldsmiths, gemologists, engravers, appraisers, every er you need this summer to take the right gift home with one visit. Something for every summer occasion under one roof. That's independent thinking. You'll find it at Independent Jewelers. Welcome back to the Investment Strategy Show, a special financial broadcast on TSN 1260. Here's your financial coaches, Brent and Scott Bullis. And welcome back to the Investment Strategy Show. I'm Adam Pfizer alongside Scott Bullis. So in our second and third segments this week, we're going to be discussing suitcase words. And suitcase words are essentially jargon that every profession uses. The issue becomes when the professional, in this case the advisor, is talking to their client and they have a very different understanding of what this word means than what the client means. And a big reason we want to do this is that part of our mandate at the Investment Strategies team is to really focus on clients' education. We always find that when people have a better understanding of how money works and why certain moves are being made in their portfolio, they will feel empowered, confident, and more comfortable with the progress they're making towards their financial goals. So we really want you to feel powerful in your meeting with any advisor, especially us, so that you know what we're talking about. Now, there's two sections that advisors really discuss with clients in every meeting, and that's, of course, risk and return. So in this second segment, we're going to get started with our first suitcase word, and it's a word you hear a lot of. Scott, what do advisors mean when they say we're worried about volatility? Well, volatility means um, rapid fluctuations in the market. For an advisor, it's measured in something called standard deviation, which is a nice statistical term, which for us, we can look up for any particular holding, give you an idea how much it normally fluctuates. Without getting into the formulas of it, that's very different from what most of the clients think of as a volatile stock. And it's not just a stock. It could also be a fund of some type. But exactly, Scott, when clients hear volatility, they just think downside. Back in November, December, when marijuana stocks were really taking off, we had a number of clients come in and we had to tell them, look, this is a very volatile stock. And they'd look at us and go, this is not volatile. It is going straight up. That is one direction. I don't find that volatile. Now, Aurora, Canopy Growth, Afria, they're all down 50% now because the other shoe almost always does drop on these things. But it's important that when an advisor talks to you about volatility, you understand he's not just meaning downside protection. He is meaning both limiting the upside, so there's not as much chance you're going to make a ton of money, but also limiting the downside. He's doing both. A lot of clients simply think that when you say, I'm lowering volatility, you're only worried about the downside. It's very hard to do that, and that's just not what an advisor means. Which brings us to our next term that advisors throw out there, and that is fixed income. When clients hear the word fixed income, they think of bonds. 
back in the 80s, 90s, a lot of clients actually just owned individual bonds. It was not uncommon for an advisor to buy a bond for you and put it in your account. And the nice thing about a bond is that if you own a Canadian government bond, you know you're going to get your money back. You really can't lose unless you try to sell the bond early. It's not a big concern. You collect your dividend every six months, uh, and then you just move on with it. That is no longer the case. The amount of inventory on the market for bonds is incredibly low. And now, almost universally, when a client, when an advisor, excuse me, says to a client, I'm going to put you in some fixed income, they are referring to a fixed income fund. And a fund has to be priced daily, which means fixed income can now go down just as much as a stock can in some circumstances. So when you hear fixed income, don't think never going to lose money on it. Think less likely to lose money than on equity, but the advisor means it's a little more secure, not totally secure. I think it's also important to remember for fixed income that there is a really wide range. Um, the typical government of Canada bond is what people think of as being fixed income, but there is now junk bonds and high yield bonds and emerging market bonds. You're often taking foreign currency risk as well. And so there's a whole bunch of things that it is are in the fixed income area now that give it a lot more risk than it traditionally had for an average Canadian investor when they bought a bond from Royal Bank or the um, government of Canada. So I think it's a far more complex and you need to ask more about your bonds, what their duration is, why they're a good fit for you in your investment at that time. And that's a great point, Scott. And then, you know, the final risk term we really want to talk about after fixed income after uh, looking at volatility is diversification. It is a word that every advisor uses. The problem is, is they use it in one specific sense and clients often don't realize. The idea of a diversification is you want to have holdings that are completely uncorrelated. That when one goes up, the other one does not. What clients think of diversification is usually just the number of products. If I own nine mutual funds, I'm automatically diversified. If six of the nine mutual funds all have the word technology in them, most clients don't blink. They actually think that's fine because they're different products course, it's not fine. It's very similar to owning six Canadian banks. The return characteristics can be very similar to just owning one Canadian bank. And that's shown also in Canada in the level of home bias that the average investor has. Uh, Canada is about 4% of the global market and Canadians typically have a majority of their equity or close to it in just Canadian holdings. And the Canadian market in itself is not particularly diversified because we really are three sectors. We're energy, materials, and banking. Exactly, Scott. So those are the important terms to remember when you're looking at a risk analysis with your advisor. Coming up in segment three, we're going to talk about return analysis and what they mean when they talk about return and what you might be hearing. You're listening to The Investment Strategy Show with Brent and Scott Bullis, a special financial broadcast on TSN 1260. We'll get right back to it after this. Get sidelined by TSN 1260 all year long. Catch the TSN 1260 Sideliner, hitting Edmonton's best community and sporting events. We're handing out cool swag in a white 2018 GMC terrain from Northgate Chevrolet Buick GMC. Everywhere you go, keep your eyes peeled for the TSN 1260 Sideliner. Powered by Fatburger, the Ranch Golf and Country Club, and Northgate Chevrolet Buick GMC. From Edmonton's sports leader, TSN 1260. Go Auto Outlet is Canada's used car leader and are willing to pay off your vehicle for just coming down for a test drive at one of our three locations. Come test drive one of 500 plus certified used quality cars this month and be entered to have your car paid off in full. 
It's that easy. Get simple and easy financing with interest rates at an all-time low, powered by Go Auto Finance. Check out the deals at Go Auto Outlet West, South in Leduc, and in Red Deer, or visit GoAutoOutlet.ca, or call 780-612-6122 now. Questions about air conditioning? Call on Reliance, the furnace company. James asks, what's something to look for in a new air conditioner? Well, one thing to consider is the SEER rating. A higher SEER means a more efficient system. Trust Reliance to help you make the right choice. And right now, get a new air conditioner with 0% financing for 24 months. Plus, ask about our next day or we pay $500 installation guarantee. When you need help fast, call on Reliance. Conditions apply. Financing OAC. Visit thefurnacecompany.com for details. Presenting the tippy top of the Glassmaster's man pile, Miles. We've got the best customers in Canada, so we decided to reward you with the fastest prize. Go get a free quote online now, and you're instantly entered to win a trip for two to the U.S. Grand Prix in Austin, Texas. Air Hotel Transportation Grandstand Passes, Champions Club Access, Behind the Garage Tours, and more. Get in the fast lane and get your quote online now at GlassmastersAutoglass.com. GlassmastersAutoglass.com. Show us your crack. Welcome back to the Investment Strategy Show, a special financial broadcast on TSN 1260. Here's your financial coaches, Brent and Scott Bullis. Welcome back to the Investment Strategy Show. I'm Scott Bullis, and with me is Adam Pfizer. In this segment, we're going to build on the risk terms we discussed last segment by looking at how advisors discuss returns and what clients hear when they think of returns. Exactly, Scott. So just like the risk elements we discussed last segment, here we're really going to look at return because it is the other major component of your account. And the first thing you always hear every prospect meeting, and we do it ourselves at the Investment Strategies team, is we will look, work to earn you a reasonable rate of return. It is a very common phrase in our industry. And of course, the problem is, is what do you mean by reasonable rate of return? Most advisors mean that they will work within the confines of risk. I'm going to get you the market minus their fees. Scott's going to go into some detail as to why that's what the advisor is really telling you. A lot of clients actually think of absolute returns, whether that's 10%, 8%, 6%. A client often thinks of a reasonable rate of return as to what they need in order to retire. So the client thinks reasonable rate of return, I'm going to get 8% a year. And the advisor is thinking you're going to get the market minus my fee. This obviously can create a lot of tension in the relationship. And that's absolutely the case. I think advisors have watched the market so much that we know over the long term, it will average a good percentage. But in any particular year, they might be really high or really low. We all remember 2008, but we also should remember 2009 and 10 when, mar when returns were so good. And so because of it, advisor generally knows that the, the trick is to get good returns, reduce your volatility for the market. But that's not what clients think, especially when they're given a financial projection or something else that says, here's what you should be earning for the remainder of your life. And they say, fine, I want that every year. But that's really not possible um, for an advisor to do in a reasonable risk situation. It might not even be possible to do in an unreasonable risk situation. Mm -hmm. Simply put, the vast majority of advisors are what we would call, uh, they're not absolute return. Yep. They're relayed to the market. If you're in a hedge fund that promises to make money in any market for you, first of all, I don't think they'll deliver on that promise. But at that point, you should absolutely ask to get positive returns no matter what. If you're with a typical financial advisor, if you're with a PM like ourselves, we will do better than the market, we hope, for you. 
But if the market really sucks, we're not going to make you a ton of money. It's just very difficult to do. The next term clients really struggle for is yield. Now, yield's a pretty simple concept. It just means that the amount of money you're getting paid, whether it's dividends, interest, or capital return of capital gains, divided by the amount you've invested. So if you have a 5% yielding bond and you put 100 grand into it, that means the yield was 5%. The key here that clients neglect is that clients think that means they make 5%. You don't. You yield whatever the yield's going to be. That doesn't really move around much. What does change, of course, is the underlying price. If you buy a stock at $10 and its dividend yield is 5, you're going to get that 5% yield, but the price might drop by 10%, which means your account might be negative 5% for that period. That's why it's so important to look at what your performance of your actual underlying products is. And there are actually a number of mutual funds and other products in the market that will say, we will give you 6% every year. And for a lot of clients, they think that that means that they are going to get a guaranteed return of 6%. What it means is they will pay you 6%. However, if they don't make 6%, that will be actually what is called a return of capital, which means they're just paying the money you paid them right back to you. So be really careful when you look at return because what's going to secure your retirement future is your total returns. Well, that's kind of the time we have for today's show. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to the Investment Strategy Show. Again, if you have any questions, if any of these terms that we discussed today sound different from what you've heard, we'd love to talk to you about the markets, talk to you possibly about your existing portfolio and what you're doing and give you a second opinion. You can always reach us at 780-944-2700 or learn more about us at our webpage, which is www.investmentstrategies.ca. Thank you so much for listening. Quick shout out to my best friends, Justin and Andrew. You both had a birthday last week and I just want to say happy birthday, guys. I've known you for 30 years and it's uh, looking forward to 30 more. Thank you so much. This radio show is prepared by Brent and Scott Bullis, who are registered portfolio managers with Hollis Wealth, a division of Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc. This radio show is not an official program of Hollis Wealth. The views, including any recommendations expressed during this show, are those of Brent and Scott Bullis alone and are not endorsed or approved by Hollis Wealth or Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc. Hollis Wealth is a registered trademark of Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc. Hollis Wealth is a division of Industrial Alliance Securities, Inc., a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund, CIPF, and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. Brent and Scott Bullis have been your host of the Investment Strategy Show. Join them again next Sunday morning at 8. The Investment Strategy Show is a paid commercial broadcast and does not necessarily reflect the views of TSN 1260 or Bell Media.